offer first of all what? Prabhupada asked me. And the second one was on about Prabhupada's life, right? Thank you. The third one was about Prabhupada's qualities. Then yesterday was about how we can have our personal relationship with Srila Prabhupada. And thank you. Today is, is really a, a kind of an expansion of yesterday's. Specifically, how we can assist Srila Prabhupada in service. Because our main way of relating to Srila Prabhupada is through service. And we were talking a little bit about how people say, well, I love Prabhupada. <laughs> I love Prabhupada. But it's really a question of following his instructions. And I want to expand a little bit from just, you know, chanting 16 rounds, following the regulative principles. I, I'm going to assume and my assumption may be wrong, but I'm going to assume that we are chanting 16 rounds and following the regulative principles. I'm going to assume that, and if you're not, I'm going to assume that at least you try. And let's, well, all right. babies and children excluded. At least they're following the principles by default. Uh, and they're at least chanting. So beyond that, though, we're supposed to be assisting in service. We're supposed to be assisting in the mission. So there's the basic, but that's just sort of, (laughs) okay. We're also supposed to be assisting in the mission. When we were talking yesterday about assisting in the mission, one of the benefits that people gave, does anyone remember the benefit of assisting in the mission? Anybody remember what someone mentioned was the benefit of that? Hmm? Well, they were all, all of them had purification, so that's just. Hmm? Connecting with the Parampara, excellent. Yeah, that was mostly for following, but for, for, for participating in the mission, the benefit of that, if I pull down the sheets, we'd find it, but see if you can remember. Oh, they were, oh, we get mercy from all of them. Come on, come on, specific. Excellent. Paying back our debt. Now, we can never pay back the debt to the spiritual master. And I'm going to bring up here a little aspect of psychology. In one sense, whenever we owe somebody something, we feel uncomfortable around that person. I I ran into this phenomenon with running a gurukula. That we found that if we give parents a really good deal that we had more trouble with the parents. People don't like it when they have a sense of too much gratitude towards you. (laughs) It was a very funny thing. If we made the tuition too low, people were more critical. I, I couldn't figure it out. If we had really low tuition and we gave them free textbooks, free paper, free pencils... But if we said, okay, you have to pay tuition and you have to pay for books and you have to provide your own paper, people were nicer to us. I was like, what's going on? And I found that the families that we did the most for and like if we bent the rules for them a little bit, 
they were the nastiest to us. I was like, what is this phenomena? And after years, I concluded that we don't like people that we owe things to. We feel very uncomfortable. Like if you owe 200 euros to somebody, you know, every time, and especially if you didn't have the money, <laughs> every time you say kind of, you know, <laughs> you know, you could avoid them. So there may be a tendency like that to, to feel that way toward the guru. And I, I do believe that sometimes difficulties between disciples and gurus stems from that. That initially a person is all, oh, Guru Dave, Guru Dave, Guru Dave. And I've noticed a phenomenon that after a few years, sometimes disciples start finding fault with their guru. And I believe that one of the reasons is this feeling of debt. That a person starts feeling, oh, I don't know if I can repay this debt. And in one sense, one can never repay the debt to one's spiritual master. So that's a really heavy feeling. But we shouldn't have this kind of mundane idea that, oh, I have to avoid this person or I have to find fault with them. That's one way to get out of paying your debt. You find fault with the person and then you don't owe them anything anymore. Very common that people do this materially. But in spiritual life, we should feel eternally indebted to our spiritual master and our spiritual preceptors, and we should feel a sense of joy that we are eternally indebted to them. It's not something material. So what we're going to do is think about, first of all, Srila Prabhupada's accomplishments in service. Then we're going to look at something very brief. It's only about a five-minute section about Prabhupada's accomplishments in service. And then we're going to think about the meaning of service. What exactly is service, as Rupa Goswami defines it? And you'll probably have to just be quiet. <laughs> People always tell that to me in class, and I hate it. Why do I always have to be quiet? But now I'm, do- now I'm doing the same thing to you that I hate being done to me. But anyway, that's karma, I guess, huh? And then we're going to talk about how we become empowered in service. And then I'm going to have us do a little bit of a different exercise than we've done so far. It, we, we are going to think about a plan for service, but not, it's not going to be according to the well-made plan. It's going to be a lot bigger and broader and, and more creative. It's going to be a real wide-open plan. And as I said in the beginning, some of you weren't here, one of the most fun and creative exercises that I've done. I think you'll enjoy it very much. So let's think about Prabhupada's accomplishments in service. Okay. Prabhupada's accomplishments, yes. Oh, you get a big one. Founding ISKCON. Translating books, translating and commenting on books. Yes. He built a lot of temples. This is one of our most enthusiastic participants. I love having kids in that sense. 
seminars. Wish we had more of them. Wonderful. Yes. Turn degraded people into elevated people. <laughs> yes. Turn hippies into happies. <laughs> okay. Um, we'll just say elevated people. <laughs> Sounds like they're floating in the air, but you understand what I mean. Not the way that the Maharishi does it. <laughs> but yeah, you understand, right? Now, there's one devotee I know who told me at the, at the temple where he lives, many people have joined from the Maharishi, and some of them actually have learned how to levitate, and they demonstrated sometimes they levitate a few feet off the ground. So that's not what we mean by that. <laughs> we don't mean physically moving in there. We mean elevation of consciousness. Okay, someone else, someone over here? Yes. Excuse me? Oh, okay. Connected us with the... Okay. Uh, and, and how would we put... The, because he was connecting people outside of the Vedic system. Okay, so connected people outside Vedic system with Parampara. Yes. Spread the holy name everywhere. Okay. Yes. He built a house for the world. Built a house for the world. Yes. Okay, he preserved. Okay, this relates back to our first seminar about Prabhupada's genius. That he was able, I I mean, this is something I I think we can't emphasize enough. Prabhupada's genius at preserving the essence of this ancient parampara while spreading it to all the cultures of the world and adapting it to all the cultures of the world while keeping the essence. I just, it's beyond fathoming that he was able to do that. It just, yes. Okay, so initiated Westerners, sannyasis, women. Yes. What? Deities, installing deities. Oh, festivals. Yes. 
Okay, so not only that he translated the books, but made them understandable. To be a real father for his disciples. That that what is? God. Well, we say loving God. Okay, loving God is the purpose of all religions. Okay, now in this section I'm going to show you, as I mentioned, yes, one more thing. Thank you. There's a lot of stuff that nobody here mentioned. A lot. On this section that I'm about to show you, as I have mentioned, I was involved with the uh, creation of this. I wrote uh, almost all the text for this. You know, we had to think of this is a brief section that's intended to summarize Srila Prabhupada's accomplishments. It's only about five minutes long. So, you know, okay, how do you summarize all of Prabhupada's accomplishments in five minutes? What were the most important accomplishments? Uh-huh. I mean, it sounds, it sounds easy, right? So that was, that was my assignment. Yeah, I got my assignment. Okay. There's going to be five minutes worth of talking here. Summarize all of Srila Prabhupada's accomplishments in five minutes. Would you all like that as your homework assignment? All right. So, of course, it wasn't just my decision. It was a team decision. But you can tell me whether or not you, you agree with our choice. quantity of Srila Prabhupada's achievements in numbers and facts, but we can never fully measure the quality of his devotion to Krishna. Prabhupada established the chanting of the Hare Krishna Mantra, which is identical with the Supreme Lord himself, for people of all cultures, in all countries. Prabhupada founded farm projects, schools, and 108 temples, including Vrindavan, Mayapur and Bombay. He initiated nearly 5,000 disciples into the ancient Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition of disciplic succession, whilst thousands more joined ISKCON's general congregation. 
400 million 900,000 copies of his 51 books in 60 languages were sold between 1967 and 1995. 960 recorded conversations, 1,662 recorded lectures and thousands of letters indicate Prabhupada's eagerness to have everyone hear about Krishna. He established ISKCON, the Bhaktivedanta Book Trust, the Bhaktivedanta Institute for Scientific Study and the Bhaktivedanta Swami Charity Trust for reviving India's ancient holy places. Prabhupada travelled to 96 cities in 25 countries in the course of 12 years, circling the globe 14 times in order to enlighten people of every continent. Scholars and leaders in many fields highly praise Prabhupada, his saintly character, his knowledge and his accomplishments. Select a personality and see a video. So that was our idea of summarizing Prabhupada's accomplishments in five minutes. What do you think? You had to think of, you know, okay, what are... What are the most important accomplishments? All right, so what do you think? You think that was a good five minute summer? I mean, if we were going to take five minutes to show somebody, you know, who didn't know that much about Srila Prabhupada, okay, this is Prabhupada's accomplishments in five minutes. Quite an accomplishment in 11 years, huh? Pretty impressive. All right. Well, we didn't get all of them here now, did we? Ah, interesting, huh? I don't think we mentioned cow protection, though, did we? We mentioned farm communities. Didn't specifically mention cows. We did mention farm communities. Nobody wrote down schools. Ah. I can't believe it. You've got me standing up here and none of you mentioned it. Okay. See, you all want me to come back to Radhish. Okay. What's the meaning of devotional service according to Rupa Goswami? Anybody except for Radha Ramon? Yes. Excuse me? Developing love for God. Well, hmm. Good job. You mean that you want to put the first uh, something about the first one? Oh, all right. Or maybe a verse that states that the postal service starts 
Wow, I was thinking about the other. Yeah, we'll have to pass on that. Hmm? No, God, that's good too. I'm lo- I was looking for a specific verse, but we can, okay, to love Krishna, to know God as He is, begins with the tongue. But general, it should be what? Hmm? Unmotivated. And? Favorable. Favorable, so that distinguishes it from people like Kamsa. Okay. Without stopping. So, without motives. I kept thinking about that in Bhaktivedan Swami's class, without motives, because he kept talking about this, any of you who were in his lectures, that we shouldn't have any other motives. And I kept thinking about all the garbage in the heart. So, without any other motives only wanting to serve Krishna, right? And should be favorable. And what else? Free from karma again. Okay. It should be pleasing to Krishna. How do we know that it's pleasing to Krishna? According to Guru Parampara. Okay, you can participate now. I just didn't want you to hog everything at the beginning. So I have a question now. Um, how, do, how, do we, how do we become empowered in service? I mean, how, how do we get the potency to do service? By chanting? Make sure that the service is in accordance with Guru Shastra and Sadhu. Um, how do you do that? Ask the Guru, read in Shastra. Yeah, there's um. You heard about the first class servant, the second class servant, the third class servant. What's the first class servant? The first class servant does what? He knows before the spiritual master says. So, now what's the difference between someone who knows with, before the spiritual master says and someone who acts whimsically? Any idea? Yeah? He's in the mood of the spiritual master. He understands. I'm repeating. They told me to repeat so it gets on the tape. Otherwise, we have to use these. And I don't even know if it's... Are they hooked up? Hello? No. Um... How do you know that you're in the mood of the spiritual master? Yes. If you understand his instructions, how, how do you know? Associate with him. How do you know for sure? And with the other devotees, how do you know for sure? Ask him. Um, and by the way, Krishna does that. Krishna does that. Now, now by the way, this, this may sound, again, kind of elementary, but a lot of us just don't get this. That the first class servant, the first class servant, is one who doesn't wait to be ordered. Interesting. Now, just recently, I was... Uh, 
I was at a place where some devotees were saying, if you do something that Prabhupada hasn't specifically said you should do, then it's not bona fide. But I was thinking now, wait a minute. Was Prabhupada specifically told to go to the West? What's about specifically told to go to New York? Was he specifically told to open temples? So I guess according to these devotees' philosophy, that's all bogus. So the process is of asking permission. And of course, at that time, Prabhupada did ask permission from his godbrother, specifically Keshamar. She did consult with others. We know that even the Lord asked permission. You think of some examples? Okay. Mm-hmm. Krishna took permission from his parents to go to Mathura. What about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Yes? He has permission to go to South India. What, what else? Yes? Well, the Lord, actually, Lord Chaitanya asked permission from his mother where he should live. He even asked permission to take sannyas. He asked permission to go to Vrindavan. He had a hard time going to Vrindavan. The devotees in Jangalapur didn't want to give permission. It took him a long time to get there. Krishna does Kaviraj asking permission to write the Chaitanya Charitamrita. It's a general rule that the devotees and even the Lord ask permission. They don't just do something. So that example is said that the first class servant does take initiative. It is first class to take initiative in service. So the first class servant does not wait to be given an order. Isn't that interesting? But the first class servant does ask permission. Just like if I said, wow, maybe it'd be nice if they had 50 cows here at Radhadesh. I think I'll donate 50 cows. (laughs) So maybe I should ask permission first, right? Or this room could use a coat of paint. Maybe we'll paint it purple with green trim, right? And I just come here at night and I just paint the room purple. It will definitely be shocked. <laughs> Actually, one time at the temple where I live, there was one devotee that did almost that bad. The GBC was out of town. And he brought, bought bright yellow paint. And he painted all of the outside of the buildings bright yellow. So one should ask permission. That's the first class servant. The second class servant, he does what he gets told to do happily. And the third class servant, well, no, that's that's tenth class. The tenth class servant, even if he's told he doesn't do it. The third class servant, doing it wrong. I never heard that one. That's interesting. I wonder what class that would be. That's a new class. We'll create a new category. <laughs> they do it, but they do it wrong. <laughs> I like that. No, the third class servant does it grumbling. Okay. I'll do it. Why do I have to do it? Can't somebody else do it? 
Charity in the mode of passion is described like that in the Bhagavad Gita. You do it at the request of a superior and you lament afterwards. So, by the way, for, if any of you ever collect in charity, be careful you do not encourage charity in the mode of passion. That's a little side note. <laughs> don't pressure people to give money and don't pressure people to give money or to give their service in such a way that they'll lament afterwards. Oh, why did I do that? I gave it, I did it just because I was pressured. I wish I hadn't done it. You don't get the full result of service if you do it in that mood. It's in the mode of passion. So that's the third class servant. They do it, but they do it just because they've been asked by their authority and they wish they hadn't done it. And afterwards they say, oh, I wish I hadn't done it. Do we hear a lot of that kind of thing in this country? Oh, I was just my telepresident as my GBC. I wish I hadn't done it. I wasted my life. I should have been going to college. I should have been having a job. That's a lot of passion. So first class takes initiative but asks permission. Now after yesterday, I keep checking on this. And the second class does what they're told happily. Third class does what they're told but with a bad attitude. And the tenth class, they just don't do it at all. (laughs) And maybe there's someone who does it wrong. I don't know. Does it wrong with a good attitude? Does it wrong with a bad attitude? I don't know. <laughs> Some classes between third and tenth in there. No, but I've never heard that in that same like category. I've never heard that put into the into the category. Okay, so what else do we have to do to become empowered in service? We have to get the order of the guru or the permission of the guru. We have to be doing regular chanting. We have to pray for the order enthusiastically. Do it with enthusiasm. Okay, yeah. We have to make a kind of plan how to do it. All right, that's the kind of thing I've been working with you these last few days about having a well-formed plan. Right? Something that's in the positive that's under your control, that's very specific, right? Specific as to your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, specific as to time, place, and circumstance, and that's going to be in harmony with your life. All right? Good. To make an intelligent, well-thought-out plan. Because we see a lot of times devotees get enthusiastic, but they don't plan very intelligently. And we've seen so many things like this. People get all enthusiastic and waste a lot of money and waste a lot of time and things fall on their face. So there should be some materially even intelligent planning. One devotee also recently asked me about whether or not we should bring in any kind of material knowledge to ISKCON for our service. And they were sort of implying that bringing in any material knowledge was maya. 
And I said, well, Prabhupada would often refer to things that he learned in college. As far as, you know, material knowledge from his economics professor, from his psychology professor. And later on, I thought about the GBC. Do you know where the, G, the, the term GBC comes from? I'm not going to repeat that into the microphone. Would you like to just leave now? No, I'm just joking. Do you know, do you know actually where the term governing body commission comes from? You're very, you're worse than some of the children in the group. I can talk to you like that. You're younger than me, right? I can get away with that. Companies. Do you know specifically what company it came from? Excellent, yes. The British Railway Company. Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati got that from the British Railway Company. So what's my point? What point am I making? Exactly. Exactly. Obviously, what did Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati do? He looked at a material business. He looked at a government business. The government was running a railroad. And he looked at how are they managing the railroad. They're managing it with a governing body commission. And he said, oh, I can manage my spiritual society with a governing body commission. So we have also, in our ISKCON society, devotees look at how are businesses managed, right? How are other religious institutions managed? And, you know, if people say it's my, well, Bhakti Sanda Saraswati was doing that. Arshula Prabhupada was doing that. They were looking at how these things were done. So, yes, we should also be materially expert in our service. Definitely. And Prabhupada also like, told the devotees, go see how Tirupati is managed, see how expertly they're managed. And follow their system of management. So we should definitely become also. That's one of the qualities of a devotee is expert. So we should become expert in our service. Sometimes people think, well, all you have to have is love. Well, ultimately, yes. And if in love, like Vidura, you know, you're, if in love, like you're offering Krishna the banana peel out of ecstasy. But not that we intentionally offer Krishna the banana peel. Not that we refuse to follow recipes because, you know, we're all just on the ecstatic platform. And okay, what else? To become empowered in service. So we should, in other words, we should learn to do our service nicely. I was thinking you were talking about getting knowledge. And what did Jiva Goswami do to get knowledge? He went to Benares to study. He knew I had to become expert. And he made a plan to become expert. He went to study. You know, when Srila Prabhupada himself went into the pharmaceutical business as a manager. What did he do? Do you know? Do you remember? It was on the section we saw in Prabhupada's life. He read some books about it. He knew, I don't know anything about managing a business. I don't know anything about pharmaceuticals. So he studied some books. Okay, I have to do this. Let me do it expertly. So if we have some particular service we have to take up, then we should study about it. Make sure that we are thoroughly familiar. Make sure that we get the proper training to be able to do it properly. Okay? What else do we need to do to become empowered in service? Yes? Yes. 
Oh, I like that very much. So we should act like it's dependent on us, but know that we actually were dependent on Krishna. Enthusiasm, confidence, and patience. Ah, that's in everything. We always have to be. So if we're just enthusiastic, then we're, if we have only enthusiasm and no patience, then we're in the mode of passion. And if we're only patient and not enthusiastic, then we're in the mode of ignorance. Bhaktivinoda Thakura said, we'll fall down if we go, try to go too fast. And if we also go too slowly. <laughs> so one has to be balanced. And we should always be confident that if we follow the process properly, we will achieve the goal. And we will achieve the goal. If we are following the process properly, we will achieve the goal. Uh, the difficulty is if we're not following it properly. If we're, if we're chanting offensively or if we're not actually following. But if we're following properly... We will achieve the goal. So, yes, we should do everything with enthusiasm and patience. That means patience with ourselves also. <laughs> and confidence. Okay, what else do we need to do? Excellent. Yes, to always be purifying our motivations. So, what happens is that as we chant and engage in service, so Krishna from within the heart, Ganadi Painabhashvata, he's always showing what is Krishna revealing from within the heart. He's always taking out the inauspicious things from within the heart as we hear it, as we chant. What is, what is he showing? This jnana dipena. Deepa is light. Jnana is knowledge. So this light of knowledge. He's shining this light of knowledge as we, as we hear and chant about him, as we do devotional service. So what, what, is, he, what is he illuminating? What is he showing us? Well, but what is it? What is specifically? What does he show us? Hmm? Guidance, yes, but what exactly? That we're his, we get to see ourselves. We see our own nature. And as we advance, ultimately we get to see who we are. Ultimately, our Siddhaya, yes. Our impurity. So we see what illusion is. We see illusion, our own illusion, and illusion in general. We see ourselves, illusion, and we see Krishna, reality. We see Krishna. Right? So we see Krishna shows us three things. Himself, God, the jiva, and maya. Right? Why is this making so many strange noises? So that's what Krishna shows us. As we follow in the process, if we're following properly, if we're trying to rid ourselves of offenses, then we see... Doesn't this happen? I mean, isn't this our experience? Becomes revealed to us. Krishna becomes revealed to us more and more. Our own self becomes revealed to us. Illusion becomes revealed to us. And then what do we have to do? Yeah, we have to do the right. We have to do the right thing. Like Krishna reveals to Arjuna, this is who I am. This is who you are. 
This is what Maya is. And then he says, now you have to to decide. Now you have to decide. So we have to be aware. Krishna will reveal our motivations to us. As we engage in the process, Krishna reveals, uh, you know, the reason you want to do this service is really so everybody can come up to you and say, oh, you're so clever. And then what do we have to do when Krishna reveals that? Doesn't Krishna reveal this? He doesn't just do this to me, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So then what do you have to do when he reveals this? Okay, well, can we get rid of those qualities? Can we cleanse our own heart? No. Who cleanses the heart? Krishna. Krishna cleanses the heart. What do we have to do? Desire. It's like you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you have a tumor on your finger. We didn't know. We thought it was a mole. And the doctor says, oh, this is skin cancer. We thought it was attractive. (laughs) We thought, oh, I have a beautiful mole on my finger. See how beautiful it is. And we're at the doctor for some other reason. The doctor says, this is skin cancer. And if you don't take it out, you'll die. So what do we have to do? Well, we have to say something. Please take it out. (laughs) So in the same way, we have all these, we have these ill motives, and we think our ill motives are very beautiful. We like them. We like them. They're our pets. They're our cherished friends. I once read this article that this man didn't show up for work, and the co-workers called the police finally. The police went to this man's house and they found that he was eaten by his pet snakes. So he had been keeping these snakes as pets and he thought, oh, I love them very much. And then they ate him. So we, we have these in our, in our heart and we're thinking, oh, I love them. They're my friends. <laughs> you know. But they're venomous snakes that are going to destroy us. So, you know, it's like we have this mole and we're thinking, oh, it's so beautiful. And then finally, Krishna says, you know, it's cancer. So we have to say, please remove it. Right? So part of being empowered in service is that every time Krishna reveals, we have to say, please remove this or please transform it. Because a lot of our anarthas are simply the perversions of something good. Yes. Ah, oh, very good question. So you were saying that generally revealing our anarthas and removing them are painful, but generally doctors give an anesthetic. Uh, my experience is that the reason that the revealing of anartha is painful 
is because we think it's pretty and we're attached to it. If we were not attached to our anarchists or thinking they were pretty, we wouldn't find the revealing of their ugliness to be painful at all. Yeah, we wouldn't. The only reason we find it painful is that we were very attached to the idea that it was a beautiful thing and something very treasured. It's our pride that causes the revelation of our inartists for what they are to be a painful experience. The moment that we accept that it's okay, the moment we, uh, I like to think of it as embracing it, the moment we embrace the fact that it's all right that we're fallen, that it's all right that this is an anartha that Krishna is going to take out, that it's, it's to our benefit that Krishna is removing us, the pain is entirely gone. The moment that you, you fully accept and embrace that. And the reason that the removal process is painful is that we're not really saying it's okay. That, that one hand is holding on to the anartha while the mouth is saying, take it away. You know, it's, it's kind of like if you bring a child to the doctor and, you know, the parent is saying, please remove this, and the child is screaming. So that's the, that's the pain. It's, Bhakti Sananda talks about the monkey who's captured by you put a banana in a narrow-necked pot. And the monkey puts his hand in the pot and grabs the banana and won't let go. And he's just standing there with his hand in the pot. And if he would just let go of the banana, he'd be free, but because he's, he won't let go. So we see the ugliness of the anartha, but at the same time, we're not quite sure that it's ugly. So we're, 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 we're saying, yeah, I guess I want you to take it out. I'm not sure. Do I really want you to? Oh, I don't know. Well, it's kind of, well, I don't know. Well, if you take it out, maybe there'll be a hole there. And I don't know. And, you know, we have this hesitancy. But the moment that we fully, completely, 100% say, yes, I'm fully, totally ready to give this up, yes, pain's gone. Not only is the pain gone, but one will feel great happiness. This is my direct experience over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I fight it and there's pain, and the moment I stop fighting it and the moment I fully accept it, not only is there no pain, but there's tremendous happiness and a tremendous feeling of relief. This just great relief and happiness. And the only person who thought the Anarta was nice was me anyway. Neither Krishna nor anybody else thought it was nice. And everybody else thinks it's wonderful that it's... Everyone else thinks I look much nicer without it. But that's the pain. The pain comes from our... The pain is not the process of revelation and the pain is not the process of removal. The pain is our attachment entirely. And the anesthesia is our acceptance. If we see... uh, One nice Shastra thing in this connection is Maharaj Parikshit when he was cursed by the Brahmin boy, Shringi. It says he saw that Krishna had taken the form of the curse. And what may help is if you can literally envision Krishna taking the form 
of whatever process you're going through to remove the anartha. It, it, it quite dramatically changes the experience. Okay, so we become empowered in service through our chanting, through the order and permission of the guru, through examining our motives and, and uprooting our ill motives by asking Krishna to uproot our ill motives, rooting out our offenses. Um, some other things I have, I have here that I noted by developing Vaishnava qualities, which is the positive side. You know, the negative side, asking Krishna to uproot our anartas on the positive side. Cooperating with Krishna to develop the good qualities. By cooperation with other Vaishnavas is very, very important because this is the seminar, after all, is about Srila Prabhupada, and Prabhupada wants us to work in cooperation. So whatever service we do is meant to be in cooperation. That doesn't mean that we have to do everything shoulder to shoulder with every single other member of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, all in the same room, all however many tens of thousands there are of us. We can be in different parts of the world and in different rooms. I mean, we say Prabhupada built one house. There can be different rooms in the house. (laughs) But we should all certainly be in cooperation and mutual respect. And another thing that's very important is to balance external preaching with internal advancement. Balancing our external preaching with internal advancement. So sometimes we have people who, you know, just focus on their own personal purification and they forget about serving the mission. And then you have other people that they're so focused on serving the mission, they forget that they have to be fit to serve the mission. And, I mean, one very sad story that I heard once was about someone we almost lost. Thankfully, we got him back. But a very, very valuable member who was just doing wonderful service for one of our most important projects. But, you know, was starting his service every morning at 5 o'clock in the morning and putting in 15 hours a day, seven days a week for 15 years. And finally, after that, you know, kind of left for a while. And when I was talking to this devotee's family members, they told me, you know, this devotee never had any time for themselves. They said, this person said, you know, I don't, I never felt like I could ever be myself. I never had time to ever do anything I wanted to do. And I thought, you never had any time for your sadhana even. <laughs> what to speak of any time for anything you wanted to do. You never had any time to even pick up the book you wanted to read. <laughs> and then for some years, this devotee left and they weren't even following strictly. You know, thankfully, now they've come back. But th- th- we do need to have some balance. You know, so some time for recharging... <laughs> Sometime when you can just pick up one of Prabhupada's books or one of the, we have so many books in this kind now, you know, pick up a book because you want to read it, not because you have to read it as part of your service, but because you're interested in reading it. Take some time. There's, there's what, three kinds of duties, Prabhupada says. Three kinds of bona fide duties. Bhagavad Gita. Do you know what they are? Ordinary. Desired and emergency. So, ordinary is what 
you know, what we're assigned to do or what our regular duties. Emergency, we should all know what emergency, you know. And emergency, if there's an emergency every day, then something's wrong. <laughs> we had some temples like that in the old days where it was an emergency 365 days a year. And that's very bad management. Emergency should be very rare. So ordinary emergency. And then desired. We should have some desired activities also in Krishna service. In the outside world, those things are called hobbies. Uh, for me, my desired activities are my work with Back to Godhead, for example. It's not my main service at all. It's something I like to do. It's something on the side. So everyone should have something like that. Maybe you grow some flowers that you bring to the deities or whatever. Something that you really, that you just like to do for Krishna. That you can cultivate on your own. So to have some balance in your life. What does Krishna say? The yogi is balanced in what? Eating, sleeping, working, and recreation. Think of the word recreation. What is that made up? I know some of you don't have English as your first language. But think of the word recreation. It's made at, what's the root word? Creation. And the prefix is re. Re-creation. To kind of re-create yourself, recharge, renew. So there should be some balanced program of renewal. Also in your service. Okay? So what I'd like us to spend the rest of the time doing, and I thought this would be a fitting way to end these five days, and again, we have paper and our pens have reappeared, is that, if you don't have your own pens, I'd like us to now just really be, be totally open. Pretend that you have unlimited, this is, this is not practical anymore, okay? We're not going to be practical We're not going to be realistic. We're not going to be bound by time and space, the limits of your body, the limits of your mind, the limits of your money. Nothing. No boundaries. I'd like you to pretend that you had unlimited talents, unlimited money, unlimited resources, unlimited anything. What service would you like to do? I'd like you to, to write an offering to Srila Prabhupada. You know, like we write offerings to Prabhupada for Vyas Puja Day. And usually the offerings that we write for Vyas Puja Day are things like, Prabhupada, you're so wonderful. And you're wonderful because of this. 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 So those are very nice. But I'd like you to try something. And again, you don't have to, and you can just get up and leave now if you want to. But this is, this is a, I've, I've done this for many years. And it's, it, it's a very wonderful experience. And do remember that Krishna accepts service offered even in the mind. So, to write a letter to Srila Prabhupada of what service you would like to do if you had unlimited anything. Now, if you want to write something practical that you can do, that's fine. But if you want to also, just whatever. 
anything. No, no boundaries, no limits, no constraints. If you could do anything at all, my dear Srila Prabhupada, the service I would like to offer to you is. And then take the next 20 minutes until we end and write a letter of what you would like to do. Okay? wonder if anyone would like to share, not the details, but just a quick one sentence of, if you don't have to, if you don't want to, but is there anyone who'd like to share just a sentence of what they have?
So a big, beautiful temple in central London. You described what the temple would look like and like that. Oh. Yes, yes. Okay. Anybody else want to share? Yes? A painting. Oh, very nice. Yes. Oh, a throne made of sapphires, diamonds, and gold. Okay, yes. Oh, taking care of the devotees. Very nice. Anybody else want to share? Yes? Each of the devotees taken care of with education service. And what else? They can work according to their nature. Oh, very nice. That the Brahmins and the Brahmacharis could just work, work on preaching without having to worry about maintenance. Oh, very nice. I think we would all hope that his desire offering for Prabhupada would get fulfilled. Very nice. Anybody else like to share? You don't have to. It's up to you. Anybody else want to share at all? Yes? Oh, a model city that could be a, give a guidance to the misdirected society. A perfect city. Oh, Sankirtan parties in every city, dancing in every street. Okay, very nice. Yes. An institute of learning to learn about Lord Chaitanya where the devotees can come and learn. Okay, yes. Oh, animated, to create animated stories. Oh, very nice. Long, funny, animated stories. Oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. Anybody else like to share anything? No? Okay. Okay, well, well I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to offer to Prabhupada that we had, we had uh, full curriculum for all of our students, all based on his books, for students and teachers for age 5 through 18 with all, not only for books, but having, you know, audio materials and 
videos and software and all the languages that devotees use. And that we had all in-service training for people and how to use them. And that they were so wonderful that all the non-devotees were coming to us to learn how to educate their children. And that we became the, the models for education in the world. People came to see that Prabhupada's system of education was the way to solve the, the problems for their own children. My, my suggestion is that at least every, every few years that you do something like this. Instead of the normal Vyas Puja offering, that you sit down and think of what, what service could I offer, at least mentally, like that. So thank you very much. I have gained tremendously from all of your enthusiasm and inspiration and your wonderful association. I'm very grateful for my time here. And I hope that all of your aspirations for service are all fulfilled. Thank you. All glories to Shul Prabhupada.